we are covering issues from immunity to nativity on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello and greetings, my dear listeners. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. We are here in the middle of December, and it's actually a cold December day. I haven't really been able to say that much because it's been mild this year uh, in central Minnesota, but today... It's cold, and there's some white on the ground, and uh, there's a chill in the air, and it's becoming um, more like Christmas. And uh, I think there's a song about that someplace. And uh, we are looking forward to the Christmas season with family and uh, enjoying that time together. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to cover a few different topics. Uh, On my heart, I want to talk about the nativity and and some of the power that was there and read to you an essay that I wrote uh, regarding Jesus and his mission. But before I do that, uh, I have finished a series on the facts about the vax. I did a five-part series uh, on that here in 2020 and with the coronavirus vaccine just on the horizon, probably coming sometime this week. Uh, I have been, uh, I released my last podcast uh, sort of as my finale, like um, like making my case and my case rests. Uh, however, uh, since then, I've, I've received uh, multiple emails, which I'm so grateful for, uh, the feedback by my listeners. And I want to address those because they had some excellent questions in there, which I think will also serve somewhat as a summary of some of the things that we've talked about uh, regarding this uh, coronavirus vaccines and really in vaccines in general. Last week, I read a, uh, an email from Kelly who shared her heart about some of the things that were going on in her family family uh, and friends, and even some of the division that uh, this topic has created in regards to vaccinations. Um, I did uh, read her question regarding uh, the vaccine changing DNA, and I just want to uh, continue to clarify that for my listeners. Uh, Like all vaccines, the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine uh, has been rigorously tested. I know there's been some concern about the speed at which this is released, Um, But I really want to emphasize to you the speed it was released had to do more with bureaucracy and red tape, eliminating those and putting this coronavirus vaccine to the forefront as like number one on the list uh, versus other vaccines or, or treatments or medicines that have to sort of be rank and filed according to the release date. This one was given priority. It was given um, hyperspeed priority uh, from the White House. And uh, I believe that uh, because of this, it, it, it has come out um, quicker than anything else really in history, but also very safe. It has been rigorously tested uh, before it is to be used here in the United States. Uh, 
Now, mRNA technology is new, but not unknown. This actually has been studied for more than a decade uh, and has, has had multiple trials as the technology. So we don't need to fear the technology. It's actually quite brilliant. Um, and actually, we're finding the results of these vaccines have actually been more effective than a tr tr traditional um, inactivated viral vaccine. Uh, mRNA vaccines do not contain a live virus and do not carry a risk, do not carry a risk of causing the disease in the vaccinated person. I mentioned last week, this is probably the number one question that I get from people is they receive the vaccine and then within a day or two, they felt ill and were quite certain that, they've re that they actually contracted the actual disease. That is actually, especially with this vaccine, virtually impossible. Uh, as with other attenuated or killed vaccine viruses, which they all are. Um, this vaccine uh, uh, is just simply uh, genetic material that is being introduced to the cell, but the mRNA from the vaccine never enters the nucleus of the cell. I really want my listeners to understand that. It never enters the nucleus of the cell and does not affect or interact with the person's DNA. It's simply sending a message to the cell, which then produces this protein, this spike protein, which is then released, and our immune system naturally responds to those proteins and creates an immune response. So it is very safe. It is very effective. It does not alter DNA at all. So another point that Kelly made is that she said that she was... Um, uh, young and in good health, it, which is why that she why she chooses to not take the COVID nineteen vaccine, and the same reasoning that she doesn't take the influenza vaccine, either. So my question is, uh, in response to that, is what is good health? Now, my understanding is that you can either be susceptible, or you can be immune, and I think it's actually. Uh, a superior health status to be immune, to have immunity to something that could infect you or attack the cells of your body. And so to be susceptible to not take the vaccines, I would argue, actually makes you less healthy than if you took it. The vaccines actually create an immunity in you with make, which makes you stronger and healthier. It makes sense. And if you choose to not take the vaccine, then you are still susceptible to the virus, which then replicates in your body and makes you uh, contagious then to another person or several other people. And so this is the problem with choosing to not vaccinate. It's not just simply about, oh, I can get the, I can get the disease and be fine. And somebody like Kelly probably will be fine. Uh, she could probably get this virus and recover without too much difficulty, although the coronavirus is nothing to, to sneeze at, no pun intended. And studies have shown the vaccines actually have a longer acting immunity than a natural exposure to a virus. And we're finding that out. Exhibit A is the coronavirus COVID-19. If we get infected, like I was several weeks back, I have immunity, but we're finding that it's been just about three to four months. Vaccinations, uh, we don't know exactly how long it's going to last, but we are confident that it's going to last well beyond a year or more. And if the, if the vast 
uh, majority of the population that become vaccinated, then we can actually be done with this craziness. We can achieve that herd immunity that we are so desperate to have so that this virus can be part of the history books, not our current history. And the last thing I would just say to Kelly and to my listeners, that I have been an emergency department physician uh, for 20 years, and I've seen people come in with influenza and see people come in with COVID this year. Um, So often I have seen folks with influenza laying on my bed in the emergency department, big strapping farmers whimpering on my bed because it was so horrible like wanting to die. It was bad. I'm becoming more bold in my old age. And there's actually been a couple times this last year where people have come into my, come into my emergency department with influenza and they are writhing and whimpering on the bed. And I asked them, did you, did you take the flu shot this year? The answer is no. And I'd said as politely as I could, just remember how you feel right now. So that next year when the, when the vaccine is offered, you'll take it. It's, it's bad. It's no fun. And the vaccination is short. You may get a little bit of immune, immune response. And please remember that you most likely will get an immune response, which is what we want, which can sometimes be low-grade fever, muscle achiness, uh, fatigue. Sometimes those things come along, but that's our own natural immune system re- responding to the shot. Uh, Jamie writes to me, hi, Dr. Johnny. Uh, my husband and I are forever grateful for you and your family's ministry as we have attended your marriage retreats and have been so blessed. I am late to jumping in on your podcast and just listen to your 50th uh, one here. Congratulations. I heard you reference that you have done five on vaccines alone, so forgive me for coming in with this question before listening to your others, but I do have a big one for you. It is in regards to the side effects of the vaccines. Not in the immediate, but in the long term for someone like myself who has battled chronic illness and autoimmunity. Um, I won't go into all of her history, uh, but she feels like some of her autoimmunity issues are coming back uh, and, and raging. Being someone who deals with autoimmunity and significant sensitivities to food, environmental stressors, etc., I am highly concerned about the vaccine's uh, short-term effects uh, and long-term effects. So I just want to address uh, your concerns, Jamie, about side effects. Uh, The side effects of these vaccines, like I said, because it creates such a a robust immune response, there is some side effect, perhaps slightly higher than what you would see with the influenza or flu shot. Um, But they're still considered mild, especially when you compare it to getting COVID itself. And it's interesting because in Kelly's email... She's thinking of not taking the shot because she's healthy. Uh, In Jamie's email, she's thinking of not taking the shot because she is not healthy. And the question I have, again, is it goes back to what is healthy. And for both of these folks, I would submit to them that healthy is being immune, is being immune. And and when you have an autoimmune issue, I strongly recommend that you consult with your physician. I can't be that physician for you, but I think the most critical piece in those who have autoimmune issues or are immunocompromised, I think it's even more important to become vaccinated and especially those who are around you and in your home, that they would be vaccinated so that you are not susceptible. It's the susceptibility to these diseases that cause problems. And Jamie, in your case, if you're having some autoimmune issues, I think it's even more important that you consider taking the vaccine. 
Now, the long-term effects, we always have to understand, and this is critical, and I did cover this in previous uh, uh, discussions about the vaccine. The issue regarding these vaccines is that it's not a foreign chemical that's giving you immunity. We're not injecting a foreign substance that creates a chemical uh, presence in your body that's giving you the immunity. What we are injecting is an antigen of, for which your own natural immune system responds. It's the same immune system that responds to when you actually get the virus itself, but we are maybe tricking or we are short-circuiting the pathway uh, so that we can actually achieve an immune response, maybe even a greater, most likely greater immune response through this shot, this vaccine that's completely safe and that will not give you the disease. Um, and it's your own natural immunity that creates the, the immune response. And it's critical to understand because I think some people think that we that vaccines are some kind of foreign chemical that's actually giving you immunity. It's not that at all. It's a foreign chemical that's triggering your own natural immunity. And this chemical is negligible compared to all other chemicals that we're exposed to on a daily basis. But through science and through the brilliance of the scientists, it actually has created something that we can have a, 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 a strong um, natural immune response. So when you talk about long-term effects of the vaccine, the long-term effect is actually only good. It actually creates an immune response in you so that you're immune to getting the disease. Hopefully that helps. This is from Heather. Uh, interestingly, you delivered our middle son over 18 years ago. Um, and uh, it makes me feel old, but thank you for mentioning that. I can't remember what prompted me to look up your ministry, but I did. And I started following your podcast in March. I have thoroughly enjoyed and learned so much from them. Thank you for doing this. I write to encourage you that over 13 facts about vaccines in the facts about the VAC series has changed my mind about not taking the vaccine to being someone who will and will be vocal about about it and to try to encourage others to do the same. Heather, that makes my heart sing. Thank you. What she's referring to is I mentioned that when we believe something thoroughly, it takes 13 pieces of evidence usually to change our mind. That's what studies have shown. And so she's saying that she has received at least those 13 pieces of evidence, has changed her mind, and is going to encourage others to do the same. This means a lot to me because I feel strongly about this. Um, I also feel like this is a personal choice. I would never advocate a mandatory vaccination. Um, I believe that this needs to be a personal decision uh, for you and for your family, what you feel safe and with your own personal physician and those who give you counsel on a daily on a daily basis. Uh, but my heart is that I believe that this is beneficial not only for you, uh, not only for your family, but for our community at large because this COVID vaccine, this COVID virus has wreaked havoc and has caused so many problems. And I'm kind of ready to be done with it. I don't know how about how you guys feel. Jan wrote, my husband and I have been following your podcast regularly now for several months, and we've appreciated your level-headed approach to the COVID situation. What do you know about ivermectin as a possible cure for COVID? My sister, who is a retired ER nurse in Milwaukee, passed along a video of a Milwaukee doctor testifying at a Senate COVID hearing in which he begs the NIH to review the data uh, of what the studies have shown. 
The doctor uh, that this uh, email is referring to is Dr. Pierre Corey, a pulmonologist and critical care specialist at St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, uh, which is actually where I trained. Uh, I, I graduated from the Medical College of, of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and spent time at St. Luke's. Um, he described ivermectin as a wonder drug with immensely powerful antiviral and anti-inflammatory agents, and he did this again before uh, these committees. Um, I, I have dug into this, uh, uh, June or uh, Jan, I'm sorry, and uh, and checked out on on this data. Ivermectin is an actually an antiparasitic medication. We actually use it for worm infestations and many other things that people can sometimes get. It's used very commonly, of course, in animals. Uh, and uh, studies have shown that perhaps it has a um, a uh, it, it perhaps inhibits the replication of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, in a laboratory setting, um, but has not yet really been proved on human studies. Now, this doctor, to his credit, is just calling for testing. Um, and he said uh, he's not necessarily advocating the drug or saying that it is the perfect solution, uh, but it could be a solution, and he's calling for further testing. Now, remember, the gold standard for testing is, uh, is double-blind, uh, placebo-controlled studies. And uh, this, this puts this medication up against placebo. This isn't just anecdotal evidence or what we call a cohort study where we're just looking for some kind of uh, uh, a response over time. No, these are, are, are um, the gold standard of studies. And there have been a few placebo uh, double-blind controlled studies um, uh, around the world, not many in America yet. Um, now, we always have to keep in mind that sometimes these anti-medicines, antibiotics, anti-parasitic um, antiviral medicine, sometimes they just have an anti-inflammatory response and people feel better on them. Um, sometimes doctors mistakenly give antibiotics for viral infections because patients ask for them because they just feel better on them, even though it's not necessarily treating the virus. And sometimes we overprescribe antibiotics for that purpose. And so we have to study these medications very closely to really find out, is it the ivermectin itself that's causing the difference? Or is it other things that they're giving the patient? Um, or does it really make no difference at all? Well, so far, the studies on ivermectin have been a little mixed. And so I'm approaching ivermectin the same way um, that I would approach hydroxychloroquine that also came out. There just isn't great data around it yet. And I think this Dr. Corey is, is saying maybe we should study it because maybe there's something there. And if there is, it's a pretty safe medicine, ivermectin, and I certainly would be open-minded uh, to advocating it uh, as long as the studies back it out. So, so stay tuned for that one. Um, it's not a something you throw in the trash pile, um, but it might be something that has some benefit down the road. Now, I do believe I'm sounding like a, a repetitive gong that the vaccine is really the stronger answer. I think I think creating um, uh, I think eliminate eliminating the number of hosts that this that this virus can infect is really the answer uh, to our public health problem. So thank you again for these questions. These are excellent questions. I love talking about it. Um, and I know that I, I want to keep talking about other issues and not just the vaccination, but this is hot off the press. This is right. That's right before us currently. 
Um, so I, I promised that I would talk about from immunity to the nativity because we're heading into this Christmas season. I knew that after I answered all these questions, I wouldn't have a whole lot of time. So I just want to read an essay that I wrote uh, to you uh, about Jesus himself. Now, I believe that Jesus not only came on a salvation mission, but he came on a restoration mission. And I think it's so beautiful as we look at the way that he came in such humility that we should just be overwhelmed at our Savior, overwhelmed by what he did for us and the sacrifice that he, uh, that he provided for us to save us. So let me read this essay to you. Jesus needed to become everything he set out to redeem. In every way, he set out to present heaven to earth and to represent mankind to the Father. As my mother and father, Don and Heather Clausen, explain in their teaching on the covenant, heaven had a problem when it came to the redemption of man. The Bible explains that there could be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. However, the Godhead was spirit, not flesh and blood. Jesus would then need to become flesh and blood so that he could shed his blood to save us all. He needed to become what he set out to redeem. He became man to redeem man. He became the curse to redeem us from the curse. He took upon himself the sins of the world to save us from our sin. He died a horrific death to save us from the sting of death. And I believe that he was born into a family to bring redemption, restoration, and healing to every family. I have learned over time that the kingdom of God is orderly, personal, and purposeful. I have found that if you ask the Father why, he is often patient and gentle and furthermore will often give you an answer, but not always. Have you ever wondered why Jesus wasn't just created? Why didn't he just appear as a mysterious man with no known earthly mother or father and then went on to fulfill his mission? Instead, Heaven's plan was to have him part of a family, born to a virgin that was betrothed to a common man, and he manifested as a helpless baby, poor and lowly. He became one of us in every way so that he could redeem every one of us in every way. Family was the father's original plan for the first Adam, Therefore, family would also be the plan for the second Adam. By Jesus humbling himself to become fully man and fully immersed in family, it provided him the means to fulfill the mission to redeem the Father's original plan for mankind and family. During this holiday season, or any season for that matter, let us fully understand that we too have been born fully immersed into a family. It may not be a perfect family or everything you dreamed it should be, but because you have Jesus within you, the Redeemer, you also have within you the power to bring restoration to every family relationship. Thank you for listening to this and to this podcast. I just want to finish this podcast with an invitation for you at the end of 2020. It's been a wild year. And this year has had us hmm, maybe pay attention to what's happening inside of our heart, even our own mortality. 
And I think it's important that as we do that and we hear about this Jesus who came 2,000 years ago to save us all, to sacrifice himself for me and for you. I know in this podcast, there may be many people who are listening to this that have never received Jesus into your heart. I just want to take one minute to offer you to pray to pray this prayer with me so that you can settle this once and for all. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a great gift we can give back to Jesus on this Christmas by giving our heart to him. It's everything. It changes everything. It restores everything. He is the answer to your questions. He is the solution to your problems. And he died to set you free. So if you're listening to this and and you want that Jesus in your heart, then just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I receive your grace and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for praying that with me. If that's your prayer, would you just send me an email and let me know that you prayed that for the very first time and received Jesus into your heart this season? It would be the greatest gift you could give to me and to my Lord Jesus. Bless you this Christmas season. Be safe. And we'll catch you next week on another episode of Pushback. Thank you for tuning in. And now let's go together to set and shape the culture.